Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Well, Not Perfect. Today's guest is someone who knows firsthand what it's like to overcome a seemingly impossible challenge. Nick Lavery is an active duty member of the United States Army Special Forces. In 2013, on Nick's second combat rotation in Afghanistan, he and others fell victim to an insider attack, ultimately resulting in the loss of his leg. Following a year of surgeries and recovery, he returned to his detachment and was deployed once again. Nick is considered the first special force operator to return to combat as an above-the-knee amputee, and I was honored to hear his story. This episode gives listeners an in-depth look into the mindset that Nick relies on to continuously achieve his goals. His story and outlook on life are testimonies to the power of committing to your purpose and developing a strong sense of self. Nick's perseverance, humility, and intelligence was evident to me throughout the entire conversation. I know that you will walk away feeling inspired by his attitude and motivation to prioritize your own growth too. It may feel awkward to physically and literally walk into a room that has a mirror and look at it and say, what do you want to do and who do you want to become in order to identify what your purpose is, what your passion is to live the life as a superhero in your movie. And then sure, extract lessons learned and tools and systems from those around you, but apply it to yourself. In this episode, you will learn how to compare yourself to others with gratitude instead of self-pity, how to become more systematic about achieving your goals, and how to let go of distractions and focus on what truly matters the most. Welcome to another episode of Well, Not Perfect. So Nick, thanks for coming on the show today. I enjoyed the multiple hour episode with Sean Ryan, the Sean Ryan show. And your story really, I thought was appealing and interesting and something that I kept listening to. I started in my house, then I continued to listen to it in my car. Then I continued to listen to it in my office. It was, it was lengthy. I mean, it was hours, right? So I was stuck the whole time on it. I mean, it wasn't something that I wanted to skip through or stop. Like I was really interested in the intricate details of your story. I don't know if we get to hear the stories of combat, the way that you shared it from someone who's still in it, because Mm -hmm. whether there's security or people are out and there's PTSD and they just don't want to relive it. You know, one of the things that caught my attention was your ability to re-describe it and relive it in a way that you seemed very kind of composed and able to talk about without sometimes what we see in mental health, like PTSD. How do you live that type of life in combat and then come back and talk about it in a way that is calm and, and kind of story-like when you're obviously in this really, what I would call traumatic or really dangerous situation? How do you, how do you kind of separate that in your mind? How do you do that? Sure. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I'm not sure if I've ever actually been asked that before. I guess if I had to put one word on it, or at least the first thing to my mind now is uh, the gift of perspective. And just even in those moments of when I was wounded myself and then going through, you know, more extreme combat situations and within those environments, I was surrounded by friends who I consider brothers that were experiencing much more catastrophic injuries than myself, many of which, you know, paid the ultimate sacrifice. So just in, when you're in the moment, when I'm in the moment of living it, both in, you know, in the middle of the gunfight and then in the days following, when you're kind of going back through over your mind on that particular deployment, late 2012 or into early 2013, you know, there were three three SF teams that were dropped along the same valley in Wardak province, Afghanistan, which is known for its heavy and resilient fighters, mm-hmm. enemy fighters. So we just, the, the three teams that were there uh, were experiencing a lot of uh, catastrophic injuries and loss of life. So the things I was going through, you know, the first two times I was wounded, some shrapnel, you know, gunshot to the face, these were in comparison and putting them in context were paper cuts compared to what my friends were going through. So I think Mm -hmm. that just having the perspective in the moment enabled me to continue to drive forward. But then 
fast forwarding to when I was at Walter Reed after the injuries to my legs, ultimately resulting in an amputation to my right, you know, Walter Reed is what I refer to as the greatest place on earth that you never want to see. I mean, it's an amazing facility with some legitimate angels that, that, that work there. They, they, they prove angels exist, what these people do. And at that time, Walter Reed was packed uh, because we were suffering so many casualties throughout Afghanistan and Iraq, mostly anyway. And some of these, these service members are dealing with the most extreme of circumstances, like quadruple amputees. And for me, more impactful was the, the guys and gals that were suffering from severe traumatic brain injury. So even though I had lost my leg almost entirely and I'm dealing with surgeries and pain and discomfort and uncertainty and doubt and like all of that is coming in, I'm literally surrounded by people that, from my perspective, had it much worse. They had a much greater challenge in front of them. And when you are interacting with somebody that does not recognize their wife and kids, I mean, it, it makes it difficult to look at what I was going through and get down on myself and feel sorry for myself. Because again, I was within that environment and I had that comparison and that context to leverage. Mm-hmm. So I think perspective has been a powerful tool. Um, and then lastly, just to close, like coming as close to death as I did, which really I should, I should have died according to you know, traumatic survivability statistics, I, sh- I should be dead just the perspective for how valuable and precious and how much of a gift life is. And, you know, even in our our lowest of lows, we really owe it to those that are no longer here or will have never experienced this to to be grateful for the fact that we get to experience these things, even the things that, that are challenging to deal with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's fascinating to hear you say that because when you describe that perspective and the comparison, it's in such a healthy way that it does give you the strength or the resiliency to come out of that. But I hear more so often people doing the comparison and the perspective of, well, then I, sh- then I can't complain or then I can't have bad moments because this guy over here can't recognize his wife. So why do I have the right to complain? And it turns into this like depression or the sadness because well they have it worse than me so i don't deserve mm-hmm. x you know and so i'm just thinking that i want to highlight i should say the fact that you are using comparison and perspective in a way that's making you a healthy mindset and a stronger mindset rather than the comparison that we see when someone doesn't have that tweak on it mm-hmm. so if someone's listening i always say like drawing out the talent that you have or the natural gift that you have in your mindset. It's one of my favorite things to do on the show. And it's a tiny tweak in your perspective or in your comparison that some don't have. And it's so minute that I'm not sure you even notice that or other people who are more on that negative side, notice it, but there's a subtle difference that makes all the difference. If you see that. Yeah. No, it, it, it's an awesome point and something that as of late, you mentioned Sean Ryan. So having gone on that, like my influx of communication traffic has just exploded. And what I'm seeing with a, a consistent trend is people that are comparing their situations to me and then, which can be beneficial, right? Like you can do it so I can do it, which is great. And that's part of our main objective. But there's also some that look at it and say, well, well, I've never been through what you what you've been through. So like, what's wrong you. with me? Mm-hmm. Right. And like I, I I'm I I prioritize that type of traffic because it's like compare comparison can be great, context can be great, it can be motivational or inspirational, but don't downplay your current struggles. Don't downplay your adversity that you're dealing with. Like it's subjective in nature. You may be dealing with the most difficult hurdle you've ever experienced in your life, but you say, well, I still have all my limbs. So like, what's wrong with me? Why is this so hot? Mm-hmm. Well, the reality is that that may be the biggest struggle you've ever dealt with in your life. Like that's real, right? Like mm-hmm. to be able to push at a hundred percent intensity. If you look at it through the weight room for one person, that may be 400 pounds, the other person that may be 100 pounds, but that doesn't mean that that object is not the heaviest thing you've ever tried to lift in your life. So mm-hmm. don't downplay it take it for what it is. And then ideally, let's slowly shift uh, our perspective to leverage 
comparison, competitiveness, and context, and focus on the same type of methodologies or philosophies or tools or systems in place that whoever it is you're looking at may have leveraged. Let's learn from that and then apply it and then and then get past it. Yeah, I think the first thing that is helpful is just making that person aware of like, hey, your comparison means you want better for yourself. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Let's tweak that to gratitude and instead of self-pity. And how do you tweak it? And I think them just realizing that their comparison needs to be tweaked, but it comes from a place of, I want better for myself. And that reframe has been really powerful. I know for me, when I'm struggling with so much comparison, you know, I'm seeing people who are more successful than me in a million ways. And if I turn it into gratitude, then it's easier for me than it is if I'm just having that pity party. You don't strike me as someone who has pity parties. So I'm just kind of wondering, like, do you ever have moments where you're just like, this sucks? Like, do you ever have those moments for yourself? It seems like you've got that such ironclad mindset. I'm really curious. Oh yeah. I have those moments with, and on, with frequency, you know, I'm, it, it is, I think it's, it, I think it's connected to this. And I say this with all the humility in the world is I, I, I challenge people to, to not put myself or others up on this like pedestal as this, like cut from a different cloth or uh, from a different galaxy. Like, don't do that. Right. Like, don't look at your issue and say, I'm dealing with this, but you know, of course, Nick got through it because, you know, he's a green beret or he's like six foot five or he's like, like whatever metric you're using to discredit what you're seeing as being applicable to you. Just be deliberate at avoiding going down that road. Like I'm a human being. I experience all of the same emotions that the, your listeners do, like the fear, the doubt, mm-hmm. the pain, the struggle, the concern the insecurities, like I experience all those things all the time, the weakness, right? Like I make excuses and I procrastinate, like all the stuff I experience as well. I'm not immune to that by any stretch, just, you know, through repetition and learning and then adjusting our mentality and our focus on when these opportunities or when these things happen, seeing them as an opportunity to grow. Like you hit that T intersection which is inevitable for all of us where it starts to suck to use your word. It's like, okay, this sucks. Am I going to off board? Am I going to go left? And I'm going to make it sound real convincing and all of the justifications and the reasons and the excuses and the, the external rationale as to why I'm just not lucky. Today's not my day. I can't catch a break. And I'm going to, I'm going to exit and perhaps come back to this later. Or am I going to see this as my moment to shine? Like, this is the game. This is the game. Everyone hits this point. Those that continue to grow and progress and are ultimately successful are the ones that see it that way and then dig in and and find the way through, around, over, underneath, whatever the Mm -hmm. adversity is. So just Mm -hmm. like looking at it in advance, like preparing our mentality for that point is going to come. But when it gets here, I'm actually excited about it because that's my time to shine and like, mm-hmm. let's go and just right. keep grinding and move forward and like do that at scale. And now you're off and, and running at a, what can be almost like a scary pace. Right. The idea of like, you're at a T that's what I was trying to describe earlier is I was thinking like a fork in the road, but yeah, you're at a T if you go left and you go into the excuses and you completely rationalize your decisions, you can eventually believe yourself. Or if you go right, you tell yourself, this is the opportunity that I get to practice my wings. I get to really test out this idea that I am strong, that I am powerful, that I am capable. And then really just all in believing that, that fork in the road to me is the repetition that you talk about as well, which is if I keep going right over and over and over again, I'm going to eventually achieve what I believe. If I go left, I'm going to continue you know, practicing that left and eventually give up and not believe in myself. So 
you're saying two things that I also hear that I like to pull out, which is there's a, you have a T and a choice. The more you go right, the more pattern you create, the more likely you are to do that. And then you can compound that effect. So maybe your mindset 15, 20 years ago was a lot less than that, but because you've gone right so many times, you now have it on autopilot. You know, you said something on the podcast and I listened to it and you said, you know, you basically said like what used to take up a lot of mental real estate in my head to work my prosthetic doesn't take that real mental real estate anymore. Like it's just a natural thing that I'm doing in my body, but yes, yeah, sometimes new challenges require more mental real estate that takes up my brain. But I took that as once you've accomplished your goals to a point, they become automatic and then you have new goals in front of you, but those have just sort of like unconsciously stockpiled in the back and you're onto new things. So your ability to go right so often and then backlog that and then add new ones, I think is what makes you more unique. And that level of acceleration is really unusual. Hmm. And just being a therapist and working with college athletes and being a college athlete myself, I've seen, you know, the upper echelon of people you know, not, not green berets, but you know, the upper echelon of athletes, I don't really know if I know anyone who thinks the way that you do. It's just so far from usual. Hmm. And I want to ask you, like, do you, do you agree with that outsider's perspective? Like, how do you respond to all that? Yeah. My, my first response is, is that, you know, looking at it objectively, yes, I would say that it is unusual, but I would also uh, stand firm and say that it is an option for everybody. It's it, uh, you can make the choice to live a certain way and to and to and to accept those challenges for what they are and battle through them. You know, it's it all you know it it, it exists in our mind. Like these these obstacles they exist in our mind. The only limitations that are real are the ones that we place on ourselves and. You're right. When you're able to do that with repetition and consistency, because you learn from each one of those, it, it compounds over time. It compounds over time. And then, you know, what, like one of the expressions that I enjoy is, you know, finding the line between determination and madness, which is like a kind of maybe a sexy way to say we really want to live at the edge of our capability and just know that there is a space that exists between kind of controlled obsession and then reckless insanity. And I've gone past that point, you know, many times, but it, that, that almost does become your greater challenge to deal with is because in repetition, when you see the fruits of pushing through fear and pain and obstacles and the growth that exists on the backside of those things, you become more and more hungry for them. So then you start stalking failure. You start stalking pain and discomfort. And as you are pursuing those, throughout every day, it can quickly enter into the realm of reckless, where now you're just mm -hmm. you're unnecessarily breaking yourself down physically or mentally, where it's no longer advantageous or productive, right? And then I think to balance that out or bring it back, in comes our strategy and our approach and our research. But we're teetering on that line between determination and madness, where we're able to live at the edge of our capability and just continue to throttle down and push it. But all that begins with just that first chance to take that right instead of that left and seeing that wow you know mm -hmm. what that was scary um, or that did hurt a bit but I made it through it and wow that actually feels mm -hmm. really good and I learned some stuff so let's let's do it again and then let's do it again and let's do it again and you know at scale and with that consistency you know anyone's able to turn themselves into into that kind of machine yeah, I see, you know, your mindset, there's this operational level that you think, I think probably in the army, but now is like the way you see how your performance is, which is there's this operation. It requires A through Z steps. A through B is a gap. B through C is a gap. How do I close the gap between A and B to get to Z to complete the operations? Like you take yourself from a soldier mindset to like a personal development mindset. And then you create this sort of 
linear process to accomplish your personal goals. And that's something that is time, energy training. And that's, I think what is missing in young athletes, young athletes feel like they want to be a D one football player. They feel like they want to be in the NBA and therefore they think that that's enough motivation or that's enough effort. But I think what you're teaching people, teaching me when I'm listening is how to operationalize your success. Yeah. That's, that's very well put. I'm, I'm probably going to steal that from you, Audrey. <laughs> okay. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll tag Give you with it. Operationalize <laughs> your success. That's fantastic. And you're absolutely right. You know, and, and much, much, most of what I learned and my approach is the result of, you know, 15 years in military service, particularly within the special operations community, which are tasked with dealing with the most significant of our military's problems with usually little resources to, and we're mm -hmm. expected to solve them, right? So like we're put in positions where we have to outpace our own headlights consistently um, anytime we go somewhere to do a job. So you're right, I, I have learned these kind of methodologies and approaches and systematic ways to move from A to B through my military training, but it's regardless of whether or not you're, you're tasked with taking a machine gun bunker on a hilltop or I want to get promoted, that you can apply the same systems and tools to do so. Because at the end of the day, we're really just talking about goal accomplishment and then creating the, the synergy between the mentality and then the physical system or X's and O's, like, like strategy meets tactics, join those together and you're still really moving towards the same end state, although just that looks different in three-dimensional time and space. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, because when you, when you talk, I mean, I feel like this is just like a post-interview <laughs> of the podcast show, because when I was listening to it, I could hear these things that make people successful then I could hear all of the reasons why people aren't quite successful or as, as much as they want it to be. And a lot of it was because one, you operationalize your growth, like your recovery, your rehabilitation, the, the operations that you've talked about, like everything you, everything you're doing, you can tell as a trained military mind. Hmm. And then you also have, it seems like this really strong narrative about who you are or who you want to be like you, you want to like nine 11, when you got the nine 11 kind of calling to go and to fight, it was like, the narrative was like, I will come after you and I will kill you. Like I, that is who I'm going to be. And that's the narrative I have. And until I see that day, I'm not happy. And then the new narrative is like, you know, it's you against them. You got 12 guys with you on your, on your team and that's it. So I just hear a narrative about who you are and you fulfill that narrative every day. That's what I hear as well. And your narrative is so strong and clear to you that it's an easy thing to wake up and do every day. I yeah. think athletes struggle to create that narrative in their brains to be who they are and how to wake up every day and then accomplish those things. Yeah. So I have a narrative that I'm going to be an extremely successful businesswoman and mother. And I'm going to kind of disrupt the way we do mental health. I love that identity for myself. And so every morning I want to wake up and I want to fulfill that identity. And I want to do it in a way that makes, you know, makes me feel good. It makes me represent who I want to be, even if I'm not quite that person yet. And I kind of hear you have that same narrative that you wake up every morning. I don't think athletes are waking up with a narrative about who they are, who they want to be. I think they're just waking up and seeing how the day goes. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, so, I mean, so much there uh, to extract. I want to, I want to focus on, you know, kind of the younger demographic here, specifically the athletes for a second. So I, you know, I grew up as an athlete. The reason why I connected to that as a young person was because, you know, I moved around every year or so as a kid and I was the new kid every single year in school, which is really hard, you know, being bullied as the new kid every year was, was challenging, but there was always athletic programs for me to get into. So that became the one thing, no matter where I went, that I could sink my teeth into and be a part of as a young person for me, that was, that was my thing. Like that was my purpose. Like I'm an athlete. I'm going to, I'm going to excel at this. 
But most of that really was a product of me just looking for a community and looking for something positive to do. Um, I did, you know, I maintained that through college, but I, I oftentimes as I'm doing my own self-reflection, look back going like, did I really, was I really ever in love with football or wrestling or lacrosse? Or was that, did I just convince myself that that's who I was? Like I, I wanted to be a jock and be one of the kids at the cool kids table. And those were the athletes. So that's really what I, what I wanted. I didn't want to be a professional football player, even though that's what I told myself, what I really wanted was to be respected. And I wanted to be feared in a lot of ways because I was scared most of the time as a kid. It's an interesting question to have. So as young athletes now, I think athletics are an enormously positive aspect for young people growing up. But I do challenge them to say, and this is almost say impossible, really typical for a young person, 13, 14 years old. You know, one is just have that regular conversation with yourself, which is hard to do as a young person as you're developing maturity, hormones are going on. There's like a million things happening, um, but have establish a consistent relationship with yourself where you're just looking at yourself in the mirror and you're asking yourself, what do I want to do and who do I want to become? But also don't expect an answer to come screaming through the glass and blast you in the face and for it to be wildly obvious that this is your true passion or purpose in life. I think that it takes time to grow a healthy level of self-awareness and the ability and the skill to be honest with ourselves internally, right? Like, what do I actually want to do and who do I actually want to become separate from the pressures that come externally, our desire to be popular and to be well-liked and, you know, to meet girls or boys or like whatever that may be. But I think the sooner we can begin that conversation with ourselves, the better. And then lastly, be, you know, the need to be patient, which is also a skill. And be, uh, be very clear, there's a difference between patience and procrastination, right? Like understanding that things will take time is important, but it's going to take time while we're working towards them aggressively. So as a young person, know for one, that what we love, who we really want to be, how we want to identify as ourselves is likely going to come in the form of a whisper that we have to be listening for. And that is propagated by having those conversations with ourselves in repetition. And then also, you know, as a 13, 14, 16, 17, 22 year old young person, you've got your entire life in front of you. So don't place so much pressure on yourself to figure it out now. I know guys that are in their forties that just decided what they wanted to do when they grow up and they're pursuing it now. And you know what? They're going to be successful at it and they're going to be happy while doing it. So take a breath. And I've been there and I can put myself in the shoes of a 15 year old kid and being scared and nervous and all of that stuff. It's really hard to do, but take a minute, take a breath. You have an enormous amount of time on your side to leverage. The story that the story that they have though, is that they don't have the time. They believe that they have got to figure it out at such a young age. And I don't know if it's their fault. I think society and schools with tests are really teaching them that this is the way it is. You must figure out what you want to do in high school to pick the right college, to pick this, to pick that. So, you know, we tell them that they have time yet in all fairness and their defense, the anxiety is that they don't have the time. And so with self-awareness, obviously you balance that out. You know that you feel urgent because of the anxiety and you know that society kind of teaches you that and then you make a decision. So the awareness I think is like where it's important to highlight our time, which is be aware of the societal pressure, be aware of competition, then be aware of what you want and make decisions. When you, you know, when you're up against you know, your goals and your timeline. Do you rush things? Do you step back? Like, how do you handle that sense of urgency that I think a lot of people feel and based on your story and like how fast you wanted to get on the front lines, I'm wondering how you manage that sense of urgency for yourself. 
Yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's a challenge uh, because you know, again, through the gift of perspective and how precious life is, uh, wanting to maximize every day I have on this earth as a human, I got a lot of things that I want to do, right? So they're every day, which is a strong word, but I stand by the use of it in this in this context. I want I want to accomplish more than I am going to be able to. So, you know, I guess one just knowing that yeah, I'm dr- I'm juggling twelve balls at any given moment, but I've grown okay with the fact that I'm going to drop four of them or five of them. Um, that's okay, right? So I'm I'm okay with that. Um, and then you know just to keep things along the lines of what we've been talking about with kind of a systematic operational approach, I think having a healthy relationship with both priorities and focus um, is important. And I think we, we use the word balance quite often, which I'm not a particular fan of that word, only because I think it paints this inaccurate picture of my goal is to have everything level across, across all my planes all of the time, which I think is impossible. Because as you shift from one thing to another, we have to accept the fact that we're going to relinquish focus on something. Something is going to take a step back or at least go on pause while I move towards this next thing. So just having a real firm grasp of what our priorities are, which I think is just determined in a very calm environment where we just have those mm-hmm. conversations with ourselves and say, these are the things that are important to me. And let me just go ahead and rack and stack them. Like something is going to be number one and something is going to be number 10 or six. You know, And for me, it's quite simple. My family will always remain number one, period. My wife and my kids, the highlight of my life, the fact I'm a family man is something that I will love the most forever. And then, you know, as you go down the list, you got my, my work, my professional responsibility, my health, my education, and my passion projects. So like, those don't move. Those have, they could, but they haven't for me in quite some time. And then when you look at focus, it's even though my wife and kids are the most important thing in my life, in this moment, while I'm in Syria, I'm doing this thing. This requires 100% of my focus right now. That does not mean that I don't love my wife and my kids. That doesn't mean that they are a, have been decreased in terms of my priorities. It just means that here in this moment, I have to focus on this. Um, and those decisions are made and they shift, you know, minute to minute, hour to hour, week to week, or whatever that may look like for each individual. So Again, kind of just keeping a systematic approach where you can you can determine what our priorities are. Because again, most of us are juggling six, seven balls in any given moment. What we focus on day to day, minute to minute, hour to hour is what requires our attention at that time. But being okay with relinquishing focus on other things that are important to us, right? And the analogy I use, which is certainly military, is if you're shooting a rifle, right? Picture holding a rifle in your hands. Well, you've got, you've got the sight posts that are on the back end of the rifle and the one that's on the front and you've got the target in front of you. Your, your mind and your brain needs to be able to consume the fact that you've got three things that your brain needs to be able to process in order to hit what you're trying to hit. Well, even though that's the case, you have to focus on your front sight post. That is going to be crystal clear in that moment your rear sight posts are blurry. The target is blurry. The front sight post is crystal clear because in that moment, that's what I'm focused on. That's how we're successful. Willing to relinquish focus on other things and being okay with that, not beating ourselves up about it. Having that level of mental control, I think is a, is a skill, is a skill like that we have to practice deliberately to learn. But once we do, it enables us to juggle more balls moving all of that forward while dropping them all at the same time and being okay with it. Throughout my 10 years as a therapist, I've learned a thing or two about growth. I've had the honor of supporting clients and becoming more resilient people, overcoming obstacles and achieving their goals. What I've learned through this process is that there are five essential steps in every growth journey. With the goal of making personal growth accessible to all, I use these steps to create a planner series so that anyone can work on their growth anytime and anywhere. Each step includes pages of insight and skills from my personal and professional experiences and ends with 30 days of space for you to practice what you've learned. Personal growth isn't a quick process, but this series is designed to make it easy and fun. 
Learn more at www.simplybecounseling.net slash planners. And be sure to check out the subscription option, which gets you a planner delivered to your door every month for the next five months. Since you're a Well Not Perfect listener, you can get 10% off on any order using code WELLNOTPERFECT. There's no better day than today to tap into your own growth and resiliency. The flexibility that you have, like the flexible mindset is obviously essential to growth mindset because you've got to be flexible and go with situations in order to achieve and grow. Because if you get too stuck or rigid on how things have to be, then you're not able to adjust and be flexible. So there's that focus and that growth mindset of, I want to achieve and succeed at, you know, this target yet. I also have to be flexible enough to make adjustments so that I can adapt to my situations. So along with the growth mindset, they, they always say that you have to have a flexible mindset, not a fixed, right? So there's flexible, there's fixed, flexible and growth. And all of those are kind of the, the, the combinations of mindsets that people have that either make them successful or not. And what you're doing that I also want to point out to people as they're listening is, which is important is your, your ability to not get distracted is huge because you're saying that there's three points to focus on a scope, but you have to focus on one and let the other two go. People get so distracted by the other two things. They can't focus on the one and ADHD in this world is going up instant gratification in this world is going up. I mean, that's also going to be combating athletes or people's success. How do you not get distracted in the million things that have to get noticed? And then how do you pick the right one? Yeah, that, that, that's a, that's a great question. The most significant catalyst in terms of my education and growth on exactly what you're describing is when I got out of the hospital, I got back to my unit in North Carolina, and I had already decided that I was going back to a team at some point, which hadn't happened before. And I knew then that in order for me to even have a shot at being successful at that goal was I had to completely burn the boats, like, and there like, would be no plan B for me. To do that, I had to remove every distraction from my life and reshape what my day-to-day looked like in terms of my structure and my, and my planning, but removing distractions, they had to go. And that was things as simple as, you know, I usually watch football on Sundays or, you know, I watch an hour of Netflix when I get home um, or I play a video game, just as examples, what a lot of people experience, I drink a beer when I get home from work. Um, I spend time with this person. And here's where it got really difficult. I have a relationship with this individual. Cutting out anything that didn't absolutely need to be there. So both tasks and relationships had to go. The tasks, some of them were difficult because I just had been so used to doing that. Watching football on Sundays is a little literal example for me. Um, but I needed that extra time. I needed those three hours that I would normally spend watching the Pats play on Sunday to do whatever else I deemed a requirement, my flexibility training. I needed to get another workout in. I needed to be reading on cultural dynamics in Af- of Afghanistan. Like I was completely all in on this thing and there was no longer space for, for football. That was a little easier than cutting out humans, cutting out people that I had a longstanding relationship with that I deemed were distractions from me that was really hot uh, to do, but I made those difficult decisions in the time. And obviously I was successful at getting back to the unit and my lifestyle that I wanted to, but I look back retrospectively at those people and those things that I had gotten rid of. And I really didn't miss them. I didn't miss them. It wasn't like, I'm going to do this now and I'm going to be successful and I'm going to regain that person back into my life or regain the football on Sundays or whatever. Maybe that was my thought process then, but fast forward 12, 18 months, and it's like, okay, I I, I made it to the top of this ridge line. I'm on top of the mountain. I can now take those things back on. I had no interest in doing it. I'm like, wow. So like just the, the, the perception of there being like unlimitless options in terms of like what's important to me and what am I focusing on 
because I was so obsessed with what I wanted to do, and I made a lot of the really hard decisions that I felt were necessary to get there, looking back at those things going, you know what, I don't even have it, I could do it now, but I have no interest in doing those again. Let's continue this trend. Like, let's, how can I refine what I got going on now? Because now my goal is different, or my, now my direction is different. And it just starts to compound into this snowball effect, um, which again, can almost become scary, because it's like, I think now, like, when was the last time I had like a boys night out? When was the last time that I did that? Audrey, I couldn't tell you, Audrey, the last time I did something like that, but I don't, I don't miss it. I don't want it. I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want it. My priorities, family, work, health, education, passion project. That's where I really want to be spending my time. So when someone's like, man, how do you do all these things? Like, how, like, how do you find the time? It's like, well, the short answer is I just don't do anything else, but it's not that I'm obsessed with, with punishing myself through work is that I love the work that I do. I, I love how I dedicate my time and my priorities. So the old expression, you know, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. That doesn't exist constantly. There are certainly times when I'm like, oh, this totally sucks. Like, I don't want to do this. But from the macro perspective, having made those challenges to cut the distractions, and then although it hurts at first, you realize once you reapply and reinvest that bandwidth elsewhere, I'm willing to guarantee, I'm willing to gamble on the fact that that you're probably not going to miss it. So I challenge you to make the hot call now and then reap the rewards of that as you as you see that growth in the back end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The the thing too is that someone, someone like you, and we're all different human beings someone like you can evaluate your value system. Basically it's your family, it's your work, it's your passion projects, health, education. So you've got that list really, really clear for yourself. And then anything that doesn't fit inside of that, it's easier for you to say no to it. Cause you're really crystal clear on what your values are. Mm-hmm. And then the, the chosen values are, if they're good, happy ones for you and you make your habits around them. I mean, that's a pretty solid life. The people, the people who one don't know what their values are. So they say yes to everything, or they don't say yes to the right things. It's because they don't know their value systems or some people artificially create a value system that aren't genuinely who they want to be. And then they're trying to plug it in all the time and it's not working for them. And I'm thinking that the people who are comparing themselves to you and not feeling good enough are those who are adopting a value system that just isn't theirs and they're not being honest with themselves. That for some reason, health and education is not the value for them. They're not gonna hit the gym. They're not gonna read the books. They don't want to. They wanna go fishing and they want to go hunting. And that's different than educating yourself on kinesiology and hitting the gym. It's just different. And, and so I'm just thinking that you naturally do these things. I'm trying to extract it and pull it out as much as I can because people listening, I think want to understand how the mech, how the mechanisms work because listening to you, it's easy to agree and say yes and jump on the bandwagon. But then, you know, I know as a therapist, there are so many people out there who are going to try to do it. It's not going to work. They're going to feel bad about themselves. And then the story goes on but you have the values you're clear on them you like them you plug them in every day and you're set to go the people around you who maybe compare have to get aware of themselves and pick different values and then all of a sudden they're going to be happy for you and happy for themselves and they're just going to be in two different lanes you know so i i just know that clients sitting in my office talk about these really incredible superheroes in their lives. And there's just this, like, why can't I do that? And eventually we get to a place of, well, you're going to be your own superhero. You're going to figure your own stuff out, you know? So, so in therapy, we get there, obviously the podcast is meant to be for people who aren't in the therapy sessions and just trying to figure life out on their own. But I just, I don't know, maybe I hammered that for too long, but I, I want to just make that really clear for people listening. Like, your superhero is not the same, same, you know, person, you, you, your own person. Yeah. And one of the, one of the lines I love is, and I think it's to this point, Audrey is, you know, live your life. Like you're the superhero in your movie, 
but I think those mm-hmm. last two words are critical in your movie, like your movie, mm-hmm. not in yeah. my movie or your friends yeah. or your dad's or your whoever. Mm-hmm. Um, like your movie, which again, like come full circle, especially for young people, it may feel awkward to physically and literally walk into a room that has a mirror and look at it and say, what do you want to do and who do you want to become? And hearing nothing back, but then doing that again and again and again, or go laying on the floor in a, in a quiet room or go on a walk or go to a park or wherever you can find yourself mm-hmm. at peace and literally saying those things to yourself and establishing that relationship early in order to identify what your purpose is, what your passion is to live the life as a superhero in your movie. And then sure, extract lessons learned and tools and systems from those around you that are ambitious towards something else, but apply it to yourself and being honest Mm -hmm. with yourself. Mm -hmm. I'm going to borrow that. I'm going to steal that. I'm going to take that. Good. July 18th, we've got a sports sports mental health uh, resiliency camp with a group of athletes. And I think one of my first exercises is going to be have them do that at the beginning of the camp. And then at the end of the camp to see if they've really evolved from, you know, how, what they first thought of themselves till the last part of the camp to like, what you Mm -hmm. think about yourselves, because if you know who you want to be for the next one year, three years, five years, you know, that's huge to know what's ahead of you rather than trying to solve all the problems, right? It's just like, taking it like more bite-sized pieces. I heard in your story, when I was listening, you were figuring things out a little bit as you went on, you know, I think your plan evolved as time went on, but at first you had like a more short sight, like find the right branch to get into. Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. And then it was like, what does that branch offer? What program do I want to be in? What, you know, and then you really obviously know a million different things about the, the branches now. But when you first started, it didn't seem like you knew everything. You didn't come from a military family. No, no, I, I knew I knew very little. All, all I knew was I was pissed off. I wanted to fight. I wanted to be in special operations. So I was at the front of that fight. And that was kind of it. And so you just went in kind of two steps ahead. Like you kind of had one or two steps ahead of you. You took those, you evaluated a couple more steps ahead of you, you evaluated. And as you get veteran in any career, you start to really see long games. And that's where you kind of figured out what, what your long game was. What is your, what's your next plan? What is, what's ahead? Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm at 15 years of active duty service now, 20 years is, is, is that mock to be able to retire from the military. So I do intend to see that through, which gives me five more years of active duty service time, which is something I'm going to soak up as much as I can, learn as much as I can, make as many many mistakes as I can. And then beyond that is, uh, you know, is my, is where my passion project will become my full-time, you know, profession. So really I see it as, as continuing the life of service that I've led, you know, the last 15 years, uh, just through a different mechanism. I, f- I found out that I actually really enjoy writing you know, so I came out with my first book earlier and in January, I'm currently working on three more of those projects. If you had asked me before that, if I liked writing, the answer would have been absolutely not, which I think is important to highlight that at, I would say, what, 37 years old, I realized that I actually have a passion for writing. So again, to that young person where it's like, hey, be patient. I, I myself am in that camp where, wow, I really enjoy writing and I'm going to actually turn this into part of my lifestyle moving forward. So I, I, I look forward to continuing that. And then, you know, similarly, maintaining a life of service through speaking and workshops and consulting. And now is the time really to, to begin that. You know what I mean? It, it, I do believe it does take a certain amount of actual time, like minutes yeah. to become towards the higher end of any particular craft, which there, you probably know better than that. There's like legitimate case studies that, that, that demonstrate that. So you really do have to earn being at the top of, of any game within any sector. So I look at the next five years as, as a gift. One, I love what I do now, which is great. And then two, it allows me to, to start to grind nights and weekends style so that once I'm out of uniform, the platform exists. I've made the mistakes. I've learned the lessons 
And now I'm ready to drop the hammer and really accelerate as my next kind of profession in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the world's going to be ready for it. If there's ever been an open door for people to listen and hear about mental resilience and about making mistakes and failures, now's the time because the, the world of motivational speaking and, and all of that really kind of Tony Robbins sort of stuff, you know, there's, there's a smaller and smaller palette for that because it starts to feel a little bit more like a pyramid scheme, mm -hmm. but the more authentic, like I have lived this for 25 years. I have done this for 20 years. Here's my story. The Ted talks of the world we're, we're here for it all day long. I think because there's so much money where the mouth is for you and for people like you, the level of authenticity is going to have to skyrocket to get any sort of cred because the, the song and the dance has kind of worn itself out. They've, they've, they've burned that they've burned that bridge out. So I'm really excited and I feel kind of honored. Cause I think in five years, I'll be like, I talked to him. He was on my podcast and you know, that you're, you're really going to make a big difference. I really value that. Uh, I value your service. I come from a family of service and I've always just found it to be the, the hard decision for an individual for the greater good. And I really just love that. And I also love the fact that our military system does what it does, you know, cause when people come out, they're just so amazing and special and what, what goes on in there, I think is really, really wonderful. Um, so I just want to say, thank you. I want to say thank you for your service and everyone else on your teams. I really appreciate it. I appreciate, no, I, I appreciate it, Audrey. And uh, in, in five years, let's, uh, let's circle back if not before then and do it again. It's only yeah. a matter of, it's only a matter of that amount of time. That's it. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Well, thank you for being on another episode of, well, not perfect. Thank you for listening to season three. Make sure you never miss an episode by hitting the subscribe button and consider leaving me a review. And for more information, all things podcast, you can connect with us on Instagram at well, not perfect. See you next week.